What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark State. And this show is brought to you by our sponsors. And that is our patrons and academates on the Bestseller Academy. And we we simply could not do this show without your support. So a huge, huge thanks, thanks to you all from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, not least to our latest patron, Melissa Jones-Murphy, and our new academates as well, who are going great guns. We've got some who they started with us in September. Some of them have finished their novels. They're looking for agents. It's the most amazing thing ever, isn't it, Mr. D? It's very exciting. It's, and we've got subgenre groups now. We've got sci-fi groups. We've got children's literacy groups. We've got thriller and crime groups. So that what's happening is the Academy's breaking up into all these little pods of incredible writers that are all getting together within the Academy and uh, learning all of like, the tips and tricks from each other. So we salute all of you. Um, it's, it's such an inspiration working with you all. And uh, this week, we are very excited to be chatting with Catriona Ward. We're going to be uh, interviewing her a bit later on, but we would like to first remind everyone that if you want to be a best-selling author, the the actual, we worked it out. It's taken us four years, but the way to do it, folks, you've just got to write a little bit every day. And so we've set up the 200 word challenge. That's 200wordchallenge.com. And if you start writing, you will have a book within a year, even if you just write 200 words. But there's a lot of other secrets to unlock within that challenge. So get over to that website and get writing now if you feel inspired to make your dream come true in terms of becoming an author, which is what you've been living the life of that, haven't you, Mark? For, uh, well, it's been a few years now. How many? When did you first publish your first book? It was 26... 2015. 2015. 15. Right, Overlord. So yeah. you're in so. year year six. six. <gasps> yeah, and yeah, almost yeah. a book a year at this rate. I saw a really beautiful picture on your website of your <laughs> gallery of books, Mr. State. I mean, here I am with the Back to Reality, right, on my shelf here in full view of anyone watching Hello YouTube. But Mark's <laughs> got this beautiful, beautiful set of five books. I'm well, the, the fifth one's not out till October. So, you know, it's um, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. But I had a cover reveal this week which was wonderful. Uh, Simon Schuster sent me the artwork for um, Babes in the Wood, which is the second Witches of Woodville book, follows on from The Crow Folk. The artwork is by the magnificent Harry Goldhawk, who did the artwork for The Crow Folk. Now, if I thought The Crow Folk was a thing of beauty, Babes in the Wood just made my heart go all aflutter. Uh, it's just incredible. And um, it's, it's there, there are lovely little Easter eggs in it because they sent me the... Because the editor had read the book, had briefed the cover art and 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 also she got in touch with me and said what things would you well, you know give me a list of five or six things that you'd like to see in it and i i did that so we've got the little easter eggs in there there are there are luminous eyes in the wood there's a hurricane not spitfire on this one there's a hurricane flying against a full moon it was it was originally a crescent moon i said no no it needs to be a full moon that's very important so there's mm. all these little easter eggs about what's in the book and we did a lovely cover reveal i did a, a little thing on um Streamyard doing Facebook and YouTube live, which was fun, uh, and yeah, it's it's another another little bit of excitement. So um, it's 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 one of the best things because it's someone else's work. You know, it's Harry's work, so I can I can brag about can it all bra- I like. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is the funny thing, isn't it? It's like when, and that's what one of, we always joked about, like writing a book together. We could always say how brilliant like our co-author was. Yeah, yeah. But I've got to say, Harry has absolutely knocked it out of the park. I saw the cover, and it leapt off the screen for me. And I've got to say. I, th- I thought the first one was brilliant, but I've got to say this second one, the colours in it, he's just, he's just, they're getting better and better, aren't they, with they are, each one? They are. And it came at exactly the right time because all week 
I've been up to my neck in edits for Babes in the Woods. So uh, it's been um, it's interesting because the Crow folk. I, I had a look because we're a year on from lockdown. I've been looking back at my diary from a year ago, and I'm seeing things like you know, yes, this happened, lockdown happened, blah blah. And but this is also when I got the book deal. This is we were a year on from me getting the Simon and Schuster book deal, which came in the middle of all this madness. I mean, by my agent Ed saying, "I bet you didn't expect this phone call," <laughs> and hmm. um, and you know, the edit for that happened, and the copy edit, and the copy edit. Uh, sorry, the edit for Crow Folk only took a few days. According to my diary, uh, it was done uh, pretty quickly. It was in pretty good That's shape. Incredible, actually. Most people this, think of book edits taking months, even longer than the original writing. Yeah. So uh, this has taken a couple of days longer, mainly because there's a bit of a murder mystery element in there, and there are things that just need to be. You need to what they say, hang a lantern on them. Just make sure they're because I think they're yeah. clear to everyone. But the editor's gone. No, you might just want to clarify this. You might just want to make that mm. totally clear. And um, of course, my biggest thing was there's a murder in this book, and I don't reveal to anyone how it's done. <laughs> and I've, I've sort of made a note to myself: only you could write a murder mystery when you don't tell anyone how the murder is actually done. So I've put <laughs> that in. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we need editors. <laughs> exactly. I know. I was going to say they earn they earn their crust on on just those major points alone. Well, it's true though because we get so we get so like lost in the woods sometimes when we're writing, and mm. we forget that we actually know what's going on, and uh, it's all in our heads. The movie's yeah. all there, every fine yeah, yeah, detail. Yeah. But yeah, 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 it's it's that's why you need someone else to write your book, even if it's even if it's just a beta reader or someone who can just go. Uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, what do you mean it doesn't make sense? It's clear as... Oh, yeah, it's clear as mud, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fix that. Brilliant. Well, it's, you know what's really great about getting this cover reveal now is that for all the people, and we always know there's this initial big rush when a new book comes out, get a lot of people in there. And I think it's great that you've got this, this sort of series happening, and we know this is the way to do it. But having revealed the cover relatively soon after the first mm book one when book one's come out and you've got book two's cover up it means those people who've gone in and just completely like you know annihilated it in 24 hours they've got something now to look forward to and it keeps, yeah. keeps the readers on the hook of saying oh this is coming yeah we we had that conversation there's a definite advantage to that it's it keeps that because i it was just as you know you have a honeymoon period of a, of a book's release which lasts about a month you know three four weeks where you everyone's talking about it there's a bit of excitement you're getting lots of reviews people are reading it and you know the, the people who are invested in it have read it and are talking about it you've got blog tour and all that kind of thing and then that all kind of dissipates your and your publisher has moved on as well in a way because they've got 50 60 books a month to sell or whatever so their their focus you know you're still there you're not ignored but your their focus is on the next new thing so you're kind of left on your own and you're thinking okay what can i do now so this comes along and, and it really really helps it, it just gives it that extra little little bump so uh yeah it was very very welcome fantastic we had such a reaction as well we should just talk about if you missed the sarah pinborough um oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you did miss that one, don't go back and listen to it unless you want to watch Behind Her Eyes on Netflix first. But the the last last podcast we put out, absolutely hysterical. And I've got to say, um, we're knocking it out of the park again today, folks, because we have what I think, and I correct me if I'm wrong here, Mark, but I think we might be on the cusp of a kind of Sarah Pinbra moment again, a week before release. And this looks like it was one of the biggest books potentially of 2021 and we're here before it comes out with Cat yeah. Catriona Ward. Tell us about tell us about her new new novel. I think you're absolutely right. I think this is one where the stars have all aligned once more. And again, it couldn't have happened to a more wonderful author. Catriona Ward was born in Washington, DC. Her family moved all over the world, the US, Kenya, Madagascar, Yemen, Morocco, Dartmoor. Uh, it has a big influence on her writing, as you'll as you'll hear. Now, her debut novel, Raw Blood, which was published in the US as The Girl from Raw Blood, uh, was published in 2015. Uh, she won the August Derleth Award for Best Horror Novel, and at the British Fantasy Awards, Raw Blood. Raw Blood won again, and for her second novel, Little Eve, which made her the first woman to win the prize twice. Uh, Little Eve also went on to win the prestigious Shirley Jackson Award for Best Novel. Shirley Jackson, of course, wrote, among many other things, The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, so she's got a new gothic thriller, The Last House on Needless Street, and it is being hailed everywhere as the gothic masterpiece 
of 2021. Uh, and the book, they've just announced as well, the book is going to be made into a movie produced by the Imaginarium's Andy Serkis, who's Gollum, of course. The Imaginarium's, uh, you know, one of the new uh, film production companies out there. So we, you know, this is, this is, it was such a joy to talk to Kat. We talk about working back from the ending and weaving together a story from different elements, not least having a Cat as one as the one of the uh, narrative characters. Uh, why a change of agent and a change of publisher is not a disaster but an opportunity, and how an unsettling experience in the middle of the night inspires Cat's writing to this very day. Brilliant stuff. Well, let's dive in and also find out what the coveted thing that she got that every author dreams of getting. What is it? Well, listen and find out. Let's have a let's have a listen in with Mark chatting with the amazing Catriona Award. Katrina Ward, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me. It's very exciting. Very nice to speak to you. Oh, it's an absolute joy. Uh, now, I want to. We're going to talk about the last house on Needler Street, which has already been called the Gothic masterpiece of 2021, which is just fantastic. But first of all, I saw you signing what looked like a metric ton of books yesterday. Do you want to, do you want to tell us about that? <laughs> yes, I signed 1,700 uh, hardback <laughs> copies, which took, I mean, I, I, just, I had no conception of how long it would take. I think it took about five hours. Um, but so, I mean, it was, you know, it was really lovely. I, you know, had, had, a, had a little, you know, had a bit of a gossip and a, a bit of a, like, a chat with everyone as I was doing it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an experience for sure. Did you did you have the old frozen peas, you know, to rest your wrists on in between? Did you take plenty of breaks? Any any tips for for those of us who might one day sign seventeen hundred books? Well, yeah, I mean, so I, I I I had lots of coffee, and then around hour three or four, I turned to wine, um, mm. which helped. And um, I thought I was I actually thought I was fine because I um I thought oh my hand is actually fine and my arm's fine, and then I got up from my chair, and my editor was like. Ooh, cat! One of your shoulders is like quite a bit higher than the other. <laughs> I made myself lopsided, <laughs> but you know, all in a good cause, I think. It's it's like if you do any kind of exercise, the second you stop is your biggest mistake, isn't it? You know, <laughs> the second you stop and and t- have a rest, I I, I mean, don't about you, I just can't get up again. No, exactly, and well, I suppose that the motto is never stop signing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now, I've heard that it's impossible to speak too much about Needless without getting into spoilers, which is which is why Kat, I'm going to ask you to give it a shot because but the, the the premise sounds brilliant. Do tell us more about it. Okay, so the last house on Needless Street is about a very lonely man called Ted who lives in a boarded up house at the end of Needless Street, and Needless Street ends in a forest in the great sort of Pacific wild rainforests of the of the Pacific Northwest. And uh, Ted lives with his daughter, Lauren, and a very disapproving cat called Olivia. Um, And in the area, children have been going missing for for years and unsolved disappearances. Nobody knows what's happened to them. So a young woman named Dee, whose sister went missing, is one of the the disappeared children, um, suspects that Ted had something to do with it. So she moves into the vacant house next door and starts to spy on him. And then things start to come to a head when Lauren, Ted's daughter, disappears. And uh, yeah, things turn, things take a turn for the worse. Excellent stuff. Oh, it sounds so good. It sounds so good. Now, what I what what I do know about this is you have three narrators, which is always a bit of a challenge. Can can you tell us uh, how you tackled that? Well, actually, so this is interesting because I, I, I um, one of the narrators is Ted, one of the narrators is Dee, and then one of the narrators is Olivia the cat, mm. which um, <laughs> I was why not? I, well, why not? I was very interested, you know, like I, when I, one of the. I'm not saying this is the focus of the book now, but it was one of the things that started me off in writing it was that I was really interested in serial killers' bonds with their pets. Um, <laughs> which is like, you know, so Dennis Nielsen had a dog called Bleep that he was very, very fond of. And it was the only thing he really cared about after he was caught. Um, and the, the dog loved him back, very much back. And it was sort of this strange kind of contradiction that really interested me that someone who's all of whose feelings are so outside what we consider the normal range of human emotion can still feel such a deep-seated affection and love for for an animal. So that was one of the things that, that 
that kind of drew me in. And I think with the narrators in particular, there's um, a lot of the story is is told by means of tape recorded, almost tape like um, diary entries, but Ted records them. Um, because he's got gaps in his memory as well. So he records things to make sure he doesn't forget them. And, um, you know, as you will know, Mark, being a being a, a, an aficionado of all genre, this like it's this sort of gothic instinct, is, isn't it, to to tell stories through, almost through a kind of found footage medium where you assemble pieces of evidence and present them in the store and the narrative gets created by the com- combination and and the pic- the big picture is built by small pieces of of like little like first person narrative or extracts or things like that and i thought that was very interesting to play with i mean i'm not going to lie it was an absolute nightmare to write and i <laughs> i wanted i want but it, it was also you know it's it's the it's the most challenging thing i think i've i've written as well as uh, the one that pushed me the most and in some ways the one i had the most fun with so it's sort of yeah. It's it's really it's really nice that that enough enough people are interested for me to have to sign seven seventeen hundred copies of that. I mean, it's great. <laughs> it does. It's what what you're describing seems to be almost like a collage. This collage of different media, you know, sound, even even different species, you know. And you're trying to piece this together. Was this something that you pieced together as you wrote it, or did you have a very clear idea of how the whole thing panned out? I knew the ending, and I think like many like many people, I knew the ending, but I didn't know how I was going to get there. Um, and it grew and changed quite a lot as it as it went. I think because the ending is so, it's quite it's just you know it's just a very it, it's it's a very definitive thing. It couldn't re- the book couldn't really do anything else. But so I'm, just, I'm being very cagey, I can tell. But <laughs> um, yes, yes no, so I, be cagey, be cagey yeah. as you like. <laughs> um, so yeah, I did. I, I did know. I did know where it went, but I wasn't quite sure what road to take to get there. And discovering that was quite uh, was 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 quite a journey in itself. You know, I mean, I always think like it's. I think each book has its own challenges, and I I think. Um, you, it's easy to forget that because you you plunge yourself into each one as you go, forget, and then when you finish, we go, ah, oh, well, that's brilliant. I know how to write books now. Um, and then the next one comes along, you're like, oh god, I just don't know anything. Each one is like a new world. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And with this one as well, you've got uh, now. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but Raw Blood and Little Eve, your previous two books, set in the UK, and you're saying you know this is set in the Pacific Northwest. Did the did the change in continent? you know moving it to the other side of the world did that shake things up for you as well definitely i mean i'd never written anything contemporary before and i was really keen i sort of feel i was really keen to to have a bit of a departure i think my first two books are they're more historical traditional gothic and uh i think there was a particular personal ch- and and skill challenge in trying to do something completely in, in an unfamiliar setting and and time and and to push myself in different directions. Also, like I, I mean, I was born in in Washington D.C., not Washington State, but um, you know, in the state in the U.S. And it felt like I'd used you know how we we we, we kind of mine ourselves for material. Um, I'd felt like I'd used a lot of these landscapes, which meant a lot to me in the U.K. And I thought it'd be nice to to integrate a bit of my other my other self because I feel you know very connected to America and I spent more time there when I was growing up than I ever did and we never lived here in the, when when I was a child so it's quite it's just interesting isn't it I, I wanted to branch out and maybe put a different part of my you know my 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 personal background into it maybe fantastic and these books are all very personal to you aren't you I mean I'm, I'm jumping ahead in, in, in sort of um uh my questions here but little Eve there's a there's a real supernatural experience behind that, isn't there? Um, I was I think probably raw blood was the one who had the supernat more supernatural okay. behind it, which is well, it's a funny one, isn't it? So I, be- I I don't really believe in ghosts, but I do believe in the experience of seeing them, if that right. makes sense. And I think that. I think it's it's obviously something that's happened to people throughout history, hasn't it? Like everyone at every time in every country has a sort of narrative tradition of ghosts. Um, it's a it's a it's a universal human thing, whatever it may con- be constituted of. And um, so yes, yeah, so when I was growing up in 
Madagascar and Yemen and Kenya and Morocco. It's all very like hot, arid, dry countries. And um, it was, um, my, we used to come back every summer to Dartmoor, which was incredibly exotic to me, you know, in, in terms of the landscape was just didn't look like anything else I'd, I was familiar with. There was these big skies and these wild moors and like wild ponies and tours and little lakes and rivers. It was just wonderful. And it sort of took up residence in my imagination quite a lot. We had to, um, so we had this, so we'd, we'd stay in this, we'd stay in this cottage as my parents had a house. And every night, it started when I was about 13, every night I'd wake up with a hand in the small of my back, pushing me out of bed, um, which is probably the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to me. It's just because it's like, <laughs> Things that happen like that in the night aren't like things that you fear in the rational day, are they? Like, I, I, there's there's no way to solve it. It's the deepest, most profound sort of fear. So I'd go, so I'd start out, every night I'd start out in my bed. And then when I got, I was very violently, and you could feel, you know, when you know there's someone else in the room with you, it makes a difference somehow to the quality of the air and, and, um, and, and just, you, you can feel it, you can tell it, you can tell that you're not alone. And I had that, that sense very, very strongly. So I just go and sleep in my sister's room. And this went on and on. For, it, start, it started, you know, as it, when I was a teenager, it didn't really stop until we moved. And it's, I mean, in later years, I've sort of learned a bit more about it. And it's, I, it's, I think it's called a hypnagogic hallucination, which is right. just a very physical sensation you have when you're going to sleep. And... Like I, I actually still get them now, but now you know. Now I know what they are. It's you know, it's sort of fine. But at the time, I had absolutely oh. no idea. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's 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 talk about your first uh, novel, your, your debut novel, Raw Blood. That that took quite a long time to get written, didn't it? Something like six, seven years. Is that right? S- far too long. Listen, kids, don't take <laughs> seven years to write a novel. Um, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> it's um I, I think I didn't I think a lot of people have this experience of your first novel is where you're teaching yourself how to write and I think I, I had a, a mistaken I didn't really do it in drafts I sort of chipped away at tiny minute pieces of it day by day and so basically it grew very very slowly and, and I I didn't really understand that, that process of revision, which actually is so freeing, you know, much better to have something on the page, no matter how crap, There's then you can work with it and then have nothing and sort of, you know, like make tiny, tiny, uh, delicate adjustments to like a, a comma, which is what I was doing. So and <laughs> it was, it was, it was kind of, it was quite a challenging book anyway. It was, it's quite an ambitious one. So it's, told in interconnecting narratives of, of the same family but different generations of the same family and I was I don't know in retrospect I don't know what the hell I thought I was doing setting myself this for my first novel but I wanted each narrative to be couched very closely in the idioms of its time so each so the the early 18th century one is an is like an an Austen novel and the late 19th century one is very is very Jamesian and um, the, the 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 narrative set during the First World War is quite modernist, and it, you, <laughs> and I spent so long researching, like checking the vocabulary and like looking for looking and like getting internalizing the sense of style for each period. I mean, I, I suppose maybe it was worthwhile. No, I mean I, I'm glad I did it, but it was it was certainly quite quite, an, quite a bonkers thing, quite an ambitious project for a first for a first book, you know. Well, it, I mean, it, it paid off because the reviews and awards, you won Best Horror Novel at the British Fantasy Awards, among among many others. So, it, it you know, it paid off in the end, I think. Oh, I hope so. I mean, I, I, I have such an affection for, for that book. I mean, but I look back on it a little bit like I look back on like, I don't know, like, you know, when you see a photograph of yourself as a child and you're like, oh, how lovely. What a lovely, you know, and sort of a slight, there's a slight sweet sense of nostalgia about it. Because I don't know about you, but don't you, do you, don't you feel like, uh, once you've finished the book, it sort of becomes a sort of like uh, an element of your past. And, yeah. you know, there's this yeah. thing that you've, you've plunged yourself into wholeheartedly suddenly is your disc because you're onto the next one, aren't you? Yeah. It's, it's a bit like an, you know, an old girlfriend or something where you think, Oh, we had, we had a, we had a great time while it lasted. <laughs> oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no. my, my, my first writing was plays. 
and you know precisely 30 people saw some of those so i was able to make all sorts of mistakes that no one talks about now which is which is why i always recommend that for to writers for for, for. but i i i think you said after all you've, you've, i think you've said in the past that publication is just the beginning of the journey were there any big lessons that you learned from raw blood that you took forward to little eve little eve and, and last house I think the main thing was just get it out, like get the plot down. Someone said very wisely, I think, that the first draft is just you telling yourself the story, really. And it's the second and third where it starts to become a novel. And so don't don't worry about detail. Don't worry about just you'll fix it later. Just get a draft out, I think. And that meant so it took seven years to write the first one and then a a mere two to write the second. Um, (laughs) And then I wrote Needless Street and I think in one. So I am getting faster, but it's that it is all because you've got to, I think, got to learn to trust yourself a little bit and and not try and make it perfect. Don't, don't let the perfect become the enemy of the good, especially in those early drafts, you know. Mm, absolutely. Now, you're publishing this as we're sort of looking at, the light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not a train coming the other way. There's, you know, we could be at the end of lockdown. Uh, you know, things, festivals aren't quite coming back yet, but bookshops might be opening. How has your experience been different to your previous books with the the launch of Needless Street? Oh well, I mean, it's a. Di- I have a different publisher. I have a different agent. I've, it's 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 it is different. It's you know, um, getting to know people and finding out the different ways things work in different companies and things. But uh, it's very difficult to judge because I have no idea how what it would be like if we were allowed to say go outside. You know, but it's been. I've I've certainly. I mean, there's been. I, I've had I've had the chance to do some like wonderful things and um and do some really fun great promotion for it and and like there's more interest there's there's been a higher level of interest in it i think than there were in my previous books and i i just my main fear is because there's no (laughs) it's all happening to me sitting in my sitting room there's just (laughs) there's just a small chance that i'm making it all up (laughs) do you know what i mean I I do I do. There's a there's a detachment to it. You're not getting that kind of validation from real human beings. I sort of understand that, but I I can let let me assure you, Cat. I'm I'm watching this from the outside in, going, this is because you're getting quotes from Stephen King, Joanne Harris, Sarah Pimber. Everyone is loving this book. I'm so excited for you. This is just you know the most. It, it it does get to a point where it gets a bit unreal, doesn't it? I mean, when you got that Stephen King quote, what was that day like? Oh my god! I I I, I mean, I can't even explain. <laughs> it was so exciting. Like as 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 a, a sort of horror slash thriller writer, of course, I was like, I was like, I was you know, I I weaned myself on Stephen King. I've been reading Stephen King since I since I was like. Yeah, you know, since I was like ten, and probably too young actually. But <laughs> it's the best stage. It's the best stage yeah. to read him. <laughs> I mean, it, that, that might explain a lot, actually. Um, but, um, and I found it, especially as you know, quite. I think I think horror writers, first of all, are are often the most scared of everything. So I was quite a nervous child, and funnily enough, reading reading horror and reading Stephen King made me feel safer, which is a strange contradiction, really, but it's almost like that's where that's the right place to put the feelings, you know, and it's sort of in a, they're kind of explored in a manageable way. So for me personally, professionally, it's just, I mean, it's just insane. Again, that is definitely something I had to have a bit of a word with myself about that. I had to really check or that I wasn't making that up because it seems so (laughs) unlikely. (laughs) It just it just seems so improbable, but um, but I couldn't have imagined, or I, or I could have imagined, but I never would have I never would have thought that it was possible to have that to have that um, that sort of you know 
uh, like validation and endorsement from someone who I had admired for so long. It was very surreal. I'm actually, I'm such a dork, right? So I put, I actually, I actually put it in my calendar just on the, I think it was in, in September when he tweeted about it. So I got in my calendar, like September 14th, Stephen King day. So I <laughs> celebrated every day. Every yeah, year. Every year. Absolutely. Every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely should. You absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. should. Yeah. Yeah. You really, really you, should. Yeah. You have, cause you, it's like, it can be quite a lonely kind of, a lonely sort of internal existence, can't it? And you know, there's lots of, there's lots of, there's lots of like um, hard graft and, th- you know, lots of tunneling away on your own. So when the good things come along, I think you've got to, got to really, really appreciate them. You really, really do. You really do. And it's interesting what you were saying about horror and listeners to this podcast will know I've, I've said this many, many times, but people who write horror, in my experience, tend to be the nicest people and the most well-adjusted because they take all their neuroses and they put them on the page and then they go about their day. Um, so I, you know, and you've proven that to us again, Kat. So thank you very much for that. Um, it's, uh, it, I, folks, last house on Needless Street. Get a copy now. Try and get one of those signed copies so you can say this is like, you know, seeing the Sex Pistols before they were big or something like that. Get in there early. Get a copy now so you can tell all your friends you knew before everyone else this was going to be uh, the gothic masterpiece of 2021. Cat, um, it's been an absolute joy speaking to you. We wish you every uh, bit of luck with the book. And here's to bookshops opening and festivals and seeing you out there. And to Stephen King Day later this year. To Stephen King Day. Let's all get together. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Mark, for everything. It's been so lovely chatting. Well, it doesn't get much better than that, Mark, does it? You know, when you're you're about to push out your book and Mr. King, of all people, says, oh, I quite like this. I'm going to write you a quote. Yes, we all, we all want a Stephen King Day. I mean, until we get a Stephen King Day, let's celebrate Cat's Stephen King Day because uh, that is just phenomenal. It, is, it must be the most amazing feeling, the absolute, the, the, the pinnacle. Well, when you think about it, it makes me it makes me wonder, and I think I'm 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 been dwelling on this since I heard the interview. I think there's a whole new thing that we should be launching on the uh, on the experiment, which is people writing down their dream quotes. Like, who would you most want to get a quote from? I th- I think it could be a whole new way of kind of visualizing the success of a book, um, because you know to get everyone's got their favorite authors. Um, a lot of people have been inspired by those authors that they've read about. Could you imagine one day having that author on the front of your book? It'd be it'd be almost like supporting your supporting or even having the support of your favourite band at your gig almost. <laughs> so, so I'm going to challenge people out there. I'm going to actually I've been think dwelling about doing a course about this very thing in the academy. I was so impressed with this idea of of you know not just not just celebrating the day but also kind of dreaming about what it is that you want to create in terms of of author quotes and what they might say about it so it's i love mm. the idea of a celebrating a day though it's such a brilliant a brilliant way of of rem- remembering the highs of those moments because like you said earlier in the podcast today you know that first month of excitement it can fade away and then it's like the grudge yeah. of marketing but to kind of have a day when you say hey this is book launch day this is stephen king quote day absolutely love it yeah, no, it is wonderful. It is wonderful. And the, we talked about Echoes with Sarah Pember as well. She also said, Cat uh, said, I knew the ending, but didn't know how I was going to get there. That echoes what Sarah was saying about behind her eyes when, in our interview with her previously and in the original interview. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. Knowing the ending, knowing where you're going can really, really help you. And I, I, I mean, the thing, let's talk about the buzz around this book, the the genuine, this isn't hype. This is genuine buzz. People who are reading uh, this book are, are absolutely loving it. And, uh, you know, The Last House on Needless Street, I mean, just check out book Twitter and it's just alive with it. And it's um, it's it's testament to Kat that she's constructed this out of such wonderful elements. I mean, she talked about interview transcripts first person that in itself feels very Stephen King to me that classic Stephen King thing where a chapter starts with a newspaper article or a bit on the radio or something like that and I always think that's a great way to engage the reader because that that thing of listening in to a recording or secret transcripts it lets the reader feel like they're being let into something secret and it they just lean in closer and I think that's what's really engaging people with this book uh, as well as all the you know the the twists and turns and and the atmosphere and and the quality of her writing and yeah it's just it's just everywhere absolutely everywhere yeah and you can't you can't get that buzz unless you give 
the book or the book and your publisher something to create a buzz around. I mean, the publisher's job, a good publisher will will take a brilliantly written story and and amplify it in terms of its promotion. Um, but really, when you sit down to write, you've got to you've, you've got to you know really get, dig deep and come up with something which they can really get excited about. I mean, for Sarah Pinbury, it was that ending. Mm. Um, and, and for Catriona, it's, it's the, you know, it's the, the secrets of what yeah. she's kind of weaving through her book. And I think that's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um, it's, it's always tricky to talk to an author where there is a book full of twists and turns because you can't go that deep into <laughs> the story, but trust me, it's, it's got, it's a very, very rewarding read. But the other, the other thing as well, you know, she's, she changed agents, she changed publisher, the the publisher uh, is it um, it's it's Viper, uh, which is a new uh, Viper Books, which is a new imprint of Serpent's Tale. Um, I think it's Tor in the US, but certainly Viper have just gone all out, and that's the thing. If you can, you know, get in on the ground floor with a new imprint or a new publisher and a new agent, they've got to prove themselves to you. You know, they've got to make a, a statement. They've got to make an impact. So you know, they've taken a fantastic book and just gone wild with it and it's it's so amazing that it's um it's just you know having such an incredible impact and there she is you know she's signing thousands of books to go out to collectors as well and fans and readers um yeah it's 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 like we said stars aligning kind of moments that that thing that every writer dreams of i think yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually, going back to your point about the, the, you know, and you referenced Sarah as well about kind of starting with the ending. There's a really interesting book. A lot of people have listened to podcasts have probably heard of it by Stephen Covey called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And there are seven habits in there that he talks about. And the one I always remember, always remember is start with the end in mind. And I think, you know, people could go back and read that chapter, but think about it from a, an author's perspective, because I've always said that if you know where you're heading. If you at least know a kind of rough final destination, A, you're driving in the right direction. You know, you're going to be heading roughly north. Um, secondly, if you if you hit a traffic jam, well, you have to divert and you might have to go around, around some back streets. But if you know that you're always eventually going to be going true north, then you're always going to be on track. And you're eventually, and this is the key point, you're eventually going to get to the end. And I think, you know, when, when we look at this research and statistics around how many people start a book but don't finish, there are more people that, that don't finish a book than do finish a book, which tell us that, you know, often, it, and it's not because they can't finish, it's often because they just don't have a strategy, or maybe they just haven't worked out at least an ending to aim towards and give themselves permission to change that ending if it if they think of something better when they get there. And the thing is, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to know the final scene and and who killed who or anything like that. It's just the idea of knowing the impact you want to have on the reader, what you want the reader to come away with. That's just as important as maybe knowing the specific blocking of the scene and, and how it all pans out. Because, and that may be something you discover on the way, you know, uh, but they're having an idea of what you want that reader to come away with also helps you develop your central dramatic argument, which is what the book is about, you know? And that's something that if you're a pantser, of your discovery writer, you might not discover that until you're in the thick of it. But once you discover it, you think, bingo, I know where I'm going. And that that's the moment whenever I'm writing, when I go, great, I know where I'm going. I know how I want this to end. I know how, where I want my character to end up at the end of this. That is story fuel because in each chapter you're thinking, okay, how is this? Where is my character on this journey to that point? What are the things getting in her way, stopping her, knocking her back? How does she get pick herself up, dust herself off and, and move onwards from that? And I find that so helpful. And it's the thing that's turned me from a big plotter into a pantser because you know when you're plotting you're constantly trying to you're trying to balance all these jenga bricks and make the thing hang together in a way that's like okay this is what it's about whereas when i'm pantsing now i'm like i'm i'm just thinking about that one thing i'm thinking about that finish line and um yeah it really does make a hell of a difference do you know what mark you're very good at this i feel like i'm in a <laughs> I feel like I'm in a craft coaching session in the academy, and I'm yes. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say that if if you're listening to Mark speak right now and you think yeah this is actually making a lot of sense, in I just want people to realise how incredible the academy is. You get to send Mark questions. This is how this is how our coaching works. You send questions 
which we both answer in our coaching sessions. Mark, Mark focuses on craft coaching. I focus on writer's life coaching. I deal with all the juicy stuff about habits and procrastination and not feeling that your writing's any good, all that, all the kind of inner game of writing. So if you've got all these questions, as you listen to this podcast, so I wish I could ask that question. You can do it in the Academy. So come and join us. It's absolutely brilliant. And you can get once a month to spend an hour with Mark and an hour with me and, and the group of Academates as well. Um, Mark, I, I think for me, one of the most interesting things, it's kind of very kind of random. I was like, wasn't expecting it. The cat narrating. <laughs> How does that work? Yeah, why not? Why the hell not? You know, why not? It's, I mean, um, I guess there's no limits, are there? No, but that's the it's thing. Brilliant. It's, I've never heard of that before. Well, the, actually, there was a whole... Se- I'm going to forget who it was now. There was a whole series of crime novels about a cat solving crimes. Uh, I, I can't remember the name of the author, and the listeners will know. Um, it's, but there, it is- was there also those those films about the, um, the dogs? There's been quite a few movies about dogs that are inspired by books, and I wonder... I haven't read those books, but I wonder if the dog actually narrates in those books as well i'm not sure people are screaming at me going yes they do they 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 um, do they do say the closest it comes to being a ghost is listening to two people on a podcast waffling on about stuff they don't know about but you do and you're there going (laughs) it's this it's this so do message us this is that look that there are dear points of view (laughs) dear points of view (laughs) there there are loads of books and stories written from an animal's point of view i just can't think of them at the moment (laughs) i know well it's always the case do you know what that is a that is a natural human phenomenon that when somebody asks you about a name of a movie or the name of a person and when you put on the spot you literally it literally just shuts down the portcullis <laughs> it's like no my brain is not accessing that information even though i know that it's very bizarre isn't it but uh, luckily we've got google hang on i know well uh, it is very useful actually i look forward to the day that we have the google chip in our brain yeah where we just down. think it and it comes up Warship down Warship down mrs oh, frisbee yeah. and the rats of nim yeah of course yeah the red wall books i mean these are kind of supernatural ones bambi of course that was a novel don't forget that was a book first. Yeah, of course, but, um, Disney. Yeah, lots of talking yeah, 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 characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that Brilliant. that thing of getting inside the mind of an animal, uh, you know, and seeing it from their perspective is, is something. I mean, Terry Pratchett does it in some of his books as well. You know, um, it's um, it is. It takes a skill, it, you know, without making it feel silly. Uh, it, and I think I think so. Yeah, like without the novelty. I mean, I must say, I've got a cat, and I often look at that cat, my lovely little Ginny, and I think to myself. What is going on inside her head? What is she thinking? Has she actually got this all sussed? And she's just like, they're actually kind of more superior to us. Because I think cats are. I think it goes dogs, humans, cats. Cats have got like, they're just, <laughs> they're the top of the food chain. It's ridiculous. But it, Lillian it, it's nice Jackson to- Brown, Lillian Jackson or Braun, Lillian Jackson Braun. She did a whole bunch of books about, so the cat who had 60 whiskers, the cat who had this, the cat who did that. Yeah, she did, uh, she did, uh, you know, at least 30 of these blooming things. So yeah, yeah. Lillian wow. Jackson Braun, check them out. Brilliant stuff. So <laughs> obviously a common thing. I bet you there's an entire genre probably like dedicated on sub, sub like Google, uh, Amazon list rather, but um, that's brilliant. Um, Mark, what's, there's a lot going on in social media. It's we're, we're kind of like, we're in early spring now, aren't we in the UK and in Canada, probably coming out of summer, I'm guessing in, in the, uh, in the Australia, New Zealand, but what's what's been bubbling in social media this week? There's loads of good news, and I think it's important. A lot of us, you know, we are a year on from lockdown in the UK. I know a lot of people are thinking, "Blimey, a year! This was only supposed to last a few weeks." I know a lot of people are struggling to write. Um, so, you know, it's. I think it's important to share the good news because there is light at the end of the tunnel, folks. We will get back to something resembling normal again, but we've got some great news from some of our, our listeners and patrons and academates. So, uh, well, listen, um, it'll be. We, you'd have missed it by the time this podcast goes out, but they're having Galantz Fest on Saturday, 27th of March. And the great thing about Galantz Fest, uh, they're doing it at home. It's, the hashtag is at Galantz Fest at home. Um, the great thing is not one, but two of our listeners are on the Galantz Fest bill. So we got Mike Shackle, who you remember got three book deal with uh, Galantz. And he, you know, he, he said he was, on the verge of giving up writing, when he heard our chat with John York, our episode with John York, it inspired him to go back. And I think the Joe Abercrombie episode inspired him as well. He's got this incredible trilogy uh, with Golantz. He's going to be uh, reading from his books and he's going to be on the panels on Golantz Fest, as is 
Adam Simcox. And Adam Simcox is a debut author, and he's got a book coming in July. And we're going to be talking to Adam on the podcast in July as well about his book. So he's going to be on Galantz Fest panels. If Obviously, you've listened to this now, you'd have missed it, but it's all going to be available after the fact online recordings to share and what have you. So do check that out. Uh, but Adam's book, The Dying Squad, is, is coming in July. Two of our listeners on Galantz panels, on Galantz Fest. I mean, when we started this, could you have imagined we'd have not one but two? Because that's where it all started for us as well, isn't it? Oh, it, it did, yeah. And I remember we were getting uh, some some brilliant um, reviews and some incredible stories of people like doing uh, readings at libraries and getting their own parking cone. Do you remember that, <laughs> Neil? Um, <laughs> But like now, now it's going on to, and this, this, you know, when we, this is kind of archiving the journey of the bestseller experiment. Yeah. I, I do think, I honestly think that, you know, at some point, maybe in the near distant future, um, especially possibly out of the Academy, we're going to get a writer who's going to, or a number of writers, a whole group of writers who are going to blow it out of the park and become these incredible bestsellers. So it's, it's absolutely, this is all part of the journey. You know, getting onto panels with major publishers. It's just, it's the stuff of dreams, isn't it? It is absolutely is. Um, S. E. Moorhead, who we've mentioned a few times, and we will be getting on the podcast later in the year as well. Uh, her book, Witness X. Now we've mentioned this a few times on the podcast. It's described as Silence of the Lambs meets Blade Runner. It's absolutely amazing. Her book is out in the US and Canada now. So if you've been listening to this, thinking, "Oh, hang on, I can't get it in the US or Canada." It's available now. Witness X. So another one of our listeners smashing it, making it international. Uh, Julian Barr. One of, uh, and who's been on the podcast many, many times, done many deep dives with us, a fantastic author, but he's also launched his editorial services as well. So if you're looking for an editor, Julian's the guy I use for my short stories, and he's a fantastic editor, absolutely brilliant. So do check out Julian Barr and his editorial services. And also there's an anthology, uh, a thriller anthology called Make Them Pay. It's being collated and curated by our own Robin Sarty, who's on the Academy and also in the BXP group. And it also features none other than Mr. Ian W. Sainsbury with one of his um, uh, Bedlam Boy stories as well. So again, you know, going from strength to strength there. But, you know, it's not all about, it's not all about, you know, anthologies and panels. Sometimes it's just about finishing the damn book. And we got a lovely message from Rose Marsh Stevens, who has made a number of public declarations uh, via the podcast and on, on the BXP team. And she says, I finally wrote the end on my manuscript today after another total rewrite of the ending. I've got a big snag list to get through now. I'll give it a read through and send it to a beta reader. And then it's off to the editor who showed interest in it at the beginning brackets four years ago, close brackets. Thank you for all your support and encouragement. And of course, the excellent show, Rose. Well, Rose, this is what we live for. This is what we want, you know, fantastic. Absolutely. Congratulations. Brilliant stuff, Rose. And actually something interesting that came out of the Academy this, this week, Mark, I don't know, you may not have even seen this, but we had a request from, and now everyone wants it because they're like, jumping. yeah, yeah, brilliant. They're asking if we would share a chapter of our first draft of Back to Reality oh, so, they could, they, <laughs> so they can compare the difference between the first draft of a chapter and the final uh, the final draft <laughs> of the chapter. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but one idea I did have, and actually this this comes up um, in a future interview that we've got coming up with the incredible Josie Lloyd. Watch out for that one. That's a brilliant, mm. brilliant interview. Um, but we were talking about how often your first or second chapters often get cut and you get straight into the action in the actual final version of the book. But I'm thinking it'd be quite fun to share that first chapter that's never been published so that they can have a read. What do you think about that? You want to share our dirty laundry with our academics? Well, well they will still respect in us in the morning. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? <laughs> but I think it'd be quite interesting to share with them the the first chapter that we wrote and that never never made it. Because I remember our, our editor Jenny was like, oh, you, you, "You don't need this. It's mm. good." And there was a lot of good stuff in there, but we we ended up chopping it, didn't we? It was, it was a hard thing to do, but it'd be quite an interesting. An in interesting kind of study for, for an author to look at something that was actually written and then compare the two and see how the book still has that kind of impetus and gets going really quickly. It, it would be interesting to go back. It's, um, I'm going to, I have to be very careful saying this because I'm a bloke, but books are a bit like pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> In that, in that, you forget all we think, the. We think. We think. We think. Allegedly, according to people I've spoken to, females that I've spoken to, um, hands that have been squeezed. Exactly. Um, 
in that you forget the pain that went into it and you're quite happy to yes. forget the pain that went into it you know uh so it's um it'll be interesting to revisit that actually it's probably yeah. probably an well, interesting have, have idea. A read through and then if we, we might we might stick it up as a little treat <laughs> <laughs> no promises, folks. No promises. But brilliant stuff. Oh, brilliant. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Mark. Um, as always, there's so much going on right now. And I think just to inspire everyone this this week, you know, we are 12 months into, into, into lockdown COVID. And, you know, I think one of the most important things to remember is that no writing that you've done at any point over the last year is wasted. If you're fed up with being stuck in the house, if you're fed up with life, not being how you imagined it to be write about it journal about it get it on the page it's all practice it'll all make you a better writer at the end of the day and who knows you might get an incredible idea for a story out of it so you know take inspiration from your writing because i really do feel like we've had this so often mark haven't we people are saying it's it's one of those central things in people's lives that's keeping them going through through these challenging times so just keep writing folks absolutely keeping a diary is probably the thing that's kept me sane throughout all of this and i've you know look i've haven't been touched but i've had friends who've had it but they've all managed to get through i've not been touched by i people have had it much 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 i mean you know really really badly so i've cruised through this but uh even you know even then it's a year on you're kind of thinking blimey is this and then now they're talking about another wave and it's oh god is this ever going to end but just getting it on the page getting it out of my head on the page makes all and it helps me sleep at night absolutely <laughs> COVID can disrupt your life, but it can't stop you writing. Ultimately, um, hopefully, if you if you're well enough to write, you know, just keep keep it up, folks, because it's incredible. It's good for your mental health, good for your well being. So so keep it up. And um, Mark, let's remind people where people can find us on social media. Yeah, come and find us. We're on bestsellerexperiment.com, and you can drop us a line there. There's a contact tab, and you can send us an email, uh, or go to social media. We're bestseller experiment on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram. We are at bestseller xp. Come and say hi. And if you'd like to join us in the 200 word challenge, go to 200wordchallenge.com and get your 200 words down a day. Thank you to everyone who's inspiring us with their stories. If you've got any great stories around the challenge, please, please send them to us via social media or on the website. And if you're inspired to find out more about the Academy, the Bestseller Academy, pop over to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. We have pre-registrations currently in play. If you want to get in, you better fill out that form, get over and get it banked now. Um, it's first come, first serve, folks. So academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. Brilliant, Mr. Stay. We'll have a great rest of your week. Good luck with all your edits and rewrites and all the kind of other things happening. And enjoy. I love this time of year. Enjoy this beautiful spring, new beginnings and all. Blossoms um, coming out. Yeah. I know. It's beautiful. It's beautiful time. So um, thank you so much for listening, everyone. We really appreciate you spending this last hour or so with us. And we look forward to being with you next time. It's a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Goodbye. To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe.